This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, episode number three is going to be something I have never done before. Greg and I are going to talk about our friends and we're going to kind of break them into two camps, right? We both have sets of friends that are wildly successful, you know, are arguably millionaires, multimillionaires and, and you know, nine figures. And then there's folks that are in our network um, that are struggling. And when I, when I kind of sat back on Christmas and thought about it, I see differences. Uh, but before I get into what I've seen, let me just welcome Greg Dickerson to the show. How you doing, man? Doing great, Michael. Good to be here. Thanks, buddy. Hey, so one of the things I was doing on Christmas, because Christmas was very different this year, is I was reflecting a lot. Because again, on this channel, you know, the things that we do every Monday, we are truly trying to help people. And one of the things that I came to kind of think about for a while was, I have a set of friends that are quote unquote rich and I have a set of friends that aren't rich and I'm starting to see some, it's not all the time, but there are some subtleties that are very different. I think, for example, generally speaking, the folks that are quote unquote rich generally lean positive, right? The glass half full type, right? They, they, they see opportunities while the other side typically wants to, um, the glass is half empty. It's, it's, there's always problems. There's always negativity. And I don't know if that's just my network of friends. Um, but when I think about the different camps, uh, and I share this not to blame anyone, not to, and I'm not going to use any names, but just to realize if you find yourself on one or the other, maybe you can pull yourself out. What, what, what do you think? Yeah. So there's exceptions to every rule. So on both sides of that equation, you can find both cases. You can find some some very positive, happy, fulfilled people that you just don't have a lot of, you know, just don't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, and it's and with with that, a lot of it is they just don't know what they don't know. Right. They just don't have the right training, the right surrounding, the right environment. They just don't know any better. They don't know any different or they don't even think anything different is possible. But a lot of times there are the ones that, you know, are more negative minded, more, you know, woe is me, you know, always looking for someone or somebody to blame or something to blame. Kind of like this, like you said, we put these out to help people. But if you look at comments on my channel, your channel, different things, you get two kinds of people. You get some that look for the wisdom and the gold in every single thing, every conversation, every, every, whatever. Then you have the ones that are just looking to be sarcastic and cynical and criticize. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's your example right there. And I guarantee you, when you look at the, the two individuals and their careers and their lives, you'll, you will see fruit that is born from that mindset and from that view, that worldview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, that's just the world of social media. So, you know, it's very interesting how that, how that kind of works. Now, on the other spectrum, you know, same thing with, with wealthy individuals. You have some that are very positive and generous and, you know, all of that. Then you have the ones that are negative and this, that, and the other. And, you know, again, it's, it's awareness, you know. Mm-hmm. Some people know what they know. And, you know, and some, with some people, the more wealthy they get, the worse they get with mm. some, the more wealthy they get, the better they get. So you, you see, you know, and I'm in an area where there, you know, and you are too, where there is a lot of wealth and you can oh, yeah. see those different extremes of different economies, but let's just take the general is generalization that we're talking about. And then the wealthy people that are happy, successful, fulfilled are seekers of wisdom. They're always 
building themselves. They're pouring in in themselves, educating themselves, looking for the wisdom in everything that, that, that surrounds them, in every interaction, every circumstance, everything they read, hear, see, they're looking for you know, something to glean from that, number one. Number two, they're always looking to serve. The wealthiest people I know generally are not doing it for that reason. They're not saying, I just want to go get rich. You know, obviously that's great and it's a benef benefit of, but they're looking to solve a problem, yeah. to serve others, to serve a greater good, to help others provide solutions. And the bigger the problem you solve, the bigger the reward is generally going to be on the other side. Now there's economics that come into play and all that, and the business model has to work. But at the end of the day, the great entrepreneurs, the greatest wealth in our world has always been created by people trying to solve problems. Now, again, there's the greedy and there's the manipulative and there's, you know, there's those sides of the coin too. But in general, that's kind of what I see. It's that positive, open-minded, can do, always seeking to learn, you know, taking the wisdom out of every situation, not thinking they're the smartest person they know, looking for what can they learn from anybody and everybody and constantly growing and building and creating and solving problems versus I know everything, everybody's stupid and the world's against me and, I, and it's just, I've got bad luck. Yeah. That's kind of the two generalizations that you're talking about. Yeah. The other thing that I've seen, and this only comes from knowing people a lot. I mean, I know, I know several folks, you know, worth significant coin in their fifties or later. And when you really talk to them about their early years, most of them had spectacular failures. Mm -hmm. Some of them had multiple spectacular failures. And then when I think about the folks on the other side, uh, very few of them, if they had a mistake, pick up the pieces and, and try again. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's, you know, back to just the examples of, of you and I, right? Uh, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you're, you want to be Rich Dad. And I'm, I'm Robert. And I'm just such an, I still, I still laugh every time I think about it. Um, I, I would find myself perhaps on the other side, right? A spectacular failure. I might think about it too long where I'm, mm -hmm. if you had one, you'd be like, ah, kick, kick it down, you know, shut it down, take my losses, just keep moving forward. Yeah. Uh, it might take you out of the game completely, you know, versus putting you at the, at the head of the pack right. for the next game. Exactly. You know, and that's kind of what, that's kind of what those two dichotomies are, you know, and, and some people will take that hit and they'll be afraid to try again because exactly. they just don't want to, or they can't, you know, I mean, some people are just in a position where they just can't afford to have that happen again, whereas others just keep going and it makes you better and it makes you stronger. And eventually, you know, it will work and you will succeed if you learn mm. the lessons of yeah. that journey. That's the key. You got to be willing to learn the lessons and go, dang, I really messed that up. And here's yeah. where I messed it up. And I ain't doing that again. That's that resolve I'm talking about. I will never let that happen again. Instead of a resolution, it's resolve. Mm. You make a vow, right? And you learn from it. Whereas, you know, the other end of the spectrum where it can take you out of the game is that people that dwell on it and to blame and, you know, and then just, you know, just let it stop them because they're afraid to let it happen again. And it's a tough thing. It's a very tough thing. But, you know, you want to embrace failures because there's going to be wisdom in there and there's going to be so much learning in there. Um, and, you know, it's really funny, you know, as you go along through life and the older I get, you know, I've always been very fortunate to know that, you know, that uh, I'm smart. I've always been smart enough to know I don't know anything at all. Okay. <laughs> and I've always been a seeker of wisdom. And the more I learn and the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And the deeper you go, the realize that realize how much deeper you can go and how much further you can get. It's like the railroad tracks analogy. You stand on the tracks and you look out and they kind of disappear. You walk to that point and then you can see it again. You know, so it's 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 that awareness and expansion of the mind 
and the lessons that are learned through those obstacles and through those roadblocks and through those failures that ultimately get you to your destination. And unfortunately, a lot of people quit too soon. But again, you got to know what the right thing to keep, you know, doing is versus the wrong thing. If you're always banging your head into a brick wall and you're doing kind of the same thing, there's a message there, yeah. you know, but just because something didn't work the first time doesn't mean it can't work again if it's done in a different way, but that's a fine line. Yeah. You know what? Let's break this down with the, something that we both saw up close and personal, the great recession, right? The housing crash. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, people, I know several people that were worth seven. I know one worth eight that had to declare bankruptcy. So let's just put some, some specifics on this, right? What were the lessons learned from the 08 crash again? Cause the biggest point here is not doing that again, right? For example, my opinion over leverage, right? Using variable rate debt, even go back to Dave Ramsey's spectacular failure before he goes on to become a, a you know, huge mm -hmm. financial expert. He was doing short-term variable rate financing on real estate. And that, that can, that can kill you. And I think we saw a lot of people in the last recession use toxic debt structures and it mm -hmm. just ate them alive. What, what are some other things people should have taken from that event? Yeah. So risking more. So again, calculating the risk and understanding the cost of that risk if realized and being able to afford it. So it's understanding what's the risk, what's the ultimate downside. If that happens, can I afford to take that hit? That's number one. Most people just don't even think about that. You know, they just don't even think that it's even going to end. I was in that camp, you know, pre-2009. I was at the beginning of my journey as an entrepreneur, as an investor. And I didn't think, I didn't know a 2009 could happen. Just didn't know, you know. So it was it was a good awakening for me in terms of what can happen and how quick it can happen. Um, but that's the number one, calculating that risk, the downside, making sure you can weather it. Number two, thinking interest rates are always going to stay low and they're always going to drop. Um, you know, a lot of people were under that, that impression as they are now. Number three was too much equity, you know, uh, invested. So using your own cash and putting it at risk and guaranteeing the debt. So putting up equity and guaranteeing the debt. Um, so that's another one. And there's ways to not guarantee debt on loans and on things like that. So like I had some friends, a couple of friends that were billionaires, two of the largest developers in the Hampton Roads area, you know, that was their mistake. And they'll tell you today, they put up the equity and guaranteed the debt mm. and they watched $300 million, boom. They just pushed a button, gone out of their bank account that the bank took, um, you know, because of their their issues. Um, these guys each had their own golf stream and, you know, they got reduced to basically nothing. Mm. And um, they'll never be able to recover to that level, you know, uh, that they were at and they still haven't been able to. But that was that was what they said their big lessons were um, short term interest only debt. So mm. short term interest only debt, you know, three to five years is a very dangerous gamble. Because everybody thinks right now interest rates are going to stay low forever. You know, everybody's just, that's just what everybody thinks. And it looks like it. And the Fed's telling you that it is. We don't know. There's no guarantees. Mm -hmm. And it, all it takes is a very small move in interest rates to, to exponentially affect values of real estate. Mm -hmm. So in real estate, you know, that, that's, that's the big one there. And, um, you know, speculation without multiple exits in the worst case scenario. Yeah. So every, everything was speculative pre-2008-9. You bought it today, it was going to sell for more tomorrow, no matter what. Oh, yeah. I don't like what's happening right now, you know, just because there's no, no, no supply, a lot of demand, interest rates are cheap. So those are the fundamental things that took a lot of people out in real estate in, in the 08 and 09. You know, when you start looking at stocks and Bitcoin and things like that, kind of similar where, you know, uh, people borrowing on margin 
is the ones that get wiped out in those cases. And a lot of that happened, you know, T Boone Pickens got hit, you know, hard back in 0809, you know, with, with a, um, you know, call, you know, option that he had, and he had to come to the table with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that he, he lost. I mean, it was, it was pretty tough. Yeah. The other thing that was really interesting and the thing that I now watch religiously is what I call the herd, right? Some people call it fear of missing out. Uh, that's what I, that was my biggest takeaway from 0809. And again, I went to, God, every conversation I had, people were in, in the Bay Area, they were flipping contracts. Literally, mm-hmm. they were buying condos. They were just lots. They're not even, mm-hmm. not even sticks yet. Lots. And people were flipping that contract five, six, seven times. Everybody made 50 grand. That was a thing back in 08, 09. Or yeah, 07. that whole condo flipping thing. Yeah, I mean, that Freaking was that was a big, you know, crazy. Miami was a big one. You know, a lot going on in Miami, a lot going on in Vegas. And, you know, it's kind of happening again. Not like that, because that those things are very different. And, you know, the real estate climate's very different right now in terms of what's going on. But, you know, anybody who's locked into, you know, short-term interest only needs to make sure that they have some options at the back end of that and that they're not guaranteeing that debt. Yeah. And then the other thing about fear of missing out is, again, the other thing I saw is, is something could be white hot and suddenly nobody wants to touch it. Yeah. Um, again, it was amazing to see what was going on in 2010, right? At least in my market, stuff was selling below lot value. Yeah. And uh, again, this, something could be so white hot, can't touch, and then suddenly nobody wants it. I, I had never seen anything like that. That's, that's a memory that I will never forget. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a different time. Very, you know, whole lot of supply, whole lot of speculation going on, and then all of a sudden, no buyers, no demand. Interest rates went up, and it didn't take much of a move, no, it you didn't. know, to kill it, you know. Um, so, you know, we're seeing a lot of that now in a lot of areas, in a lot of ways. The difference is the government's pumping the liquidity out there to keep it going. We yeah. didn't have that before. There was no, there was nobody at the back, you know, at the back door last yeah. time, you know, unloading the wheelbarrow full of cash <laughs> to keep everything going. You know, they did afterwards, but it was yeah. it was a day late and a dollar short at that yeah. point. Yeah, it was. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how long this run continues because that's all it is. That's what the stock market is. It's it's the quantitative easing. It's all the banks. You know, the Bitcoin. It's money going into that from there because yeah. it's free money. So they're like, hey, let's drive this thing up. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you have the small retail investor that's jumping on that. You know that FOMO bag bandwagon. Um, so there's going to be a lot of pain coming through this at some point where and when, I don't know. And, and a lot of it depends on what, what the government and the fed end up actually doing, what that appetite looks like and, and how it unwinds. Yeah. And the last thing I remember from the 0809 crisis is kind of the banks make the rules, right? The banks, mm-hmm. the banks make the banks have the money. The banks make the rules. They want to work with you. They will in 2020, they want to work with you in 2008. They didn't uh, if they want to lend to you with an 800 credit score, if they don't, I mean, they make the rules. That was the other thing that was a big takeaway for me from the last crisis. At the end of the day, somebody holds that note. So yeah. everything is on debt. Everything's on credit. Okay. So the stocks, the Bitcoin, real estate, it's all debt. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when things start to deflate and devalue, there's a note holder on the other end of that conversation. And there's already conversations happening right now at the, at the, um, uh, country, you know, level, the central bank level, where certain countries are asking already for forgiveness of debt, um, because they've just taken such a huge hit with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the conversations that when things start to unwind and deflate, and we start to, you know, when that bubble bursts, you know, those are the things that are going to happen. So I think, you know, we're going to see a global write down of debt, which is sovereign nations, institutions, you know, uh, sovereign wealth funds, you know, uh, life insurance companies, 
you know, that that's where these conversations are going to be happening. And, you know, you, you just can't keep printing and keep throwing it in there. It's got to end somewhere. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate this conversation. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, any closing thoughts? No, that was it. You know, just, uh, you know, be careful. It's... <laughs> Learn your lessons. There you go. All right, man.